Ace Podcast. Hey, I'm Eddie. And I'm John from Moderately Informed. And you're listening to Blood and Black Rum on the Ace Podcast Network. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from the NewsDeadWorld.net, joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? And we're back again with another 90s slasher month movie that uh, is part three in our series. Out of five. Yep, out of five. We've announced four out of the five. So, um... There's one that's a secret we're keeping from listeners. But, uh, yeah, so we've covered Urban Legend. And last week we did um, The Faculty. Rhonda, I know what she did last summer. Are you feeling fatigued yet from the 90s slasher stuff? A little, but I don't think it's because it's the 90s slashers. I think it's because of the films itself. Well, I think we gave ourselves a nice break there because we did Urban Legend, which is definitely through and through a slasher. Then we did The Faculty, which isn't really, I mean, it's a slasher in a way, but it's also more of a science fiction, like, pod person film. So we kind of gave ourselves a break in that. It's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but with more slasher elements. Yeah. Which, which, thank God we did do that in between these two, because I totally think if we did Urban Legend, and I know you did last summer. Yeah. That that would be like a, that would I think kill, kill the month for me. I'd be like, all right, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna abort this right now. There'd be a you know it would be tough to continue on after doing something so similar. And obviously, Urban Legend actually released in 1998, so it's actually a year later than I know what you did last summer. So technically, I know what you did last summer came first, uh, but at the same time, they're very in a lot of ways they're very similar. And, you know, more than that, they are classic ripoffs of Scream. I would say, I know what you did last, I was even more classic. Yeah, definitely. Very, I mean... But that that makes sense, though, because of the writer. Right, Kevin Williamson wrote both of them. Um, I Know What You Did Last Summer does have, um, like, as we were talking about, a sort of... It's got a coastal element to it, so it adds a little... a different feel to the film rather than what Scream has more like a small town uh, vibe to it. Like in this film, you don't, I mean, I guess you can consider Southport, North Carolina, a smaller town, but at the same time, there's, I guess there's a different dynamic here. A lot of it is about fishing and coastal stuff and fish hooks. We totally thought for the most part of the film that this was like in New England. Mm Mm-hmm. 
It does feel it like, lo- a like a coastal New-, New England town. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they like, the old men would be sitting on their porch drinking Narragansett, not, you know. Yeah. Not whatever they drink down in North Carolina. I think, though, that that's, that is a big distinction between I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scream. And then the other part of it is that I Know What You Did Last Summer is way less meta than Scream. Like, this is, seems like Kevin Williamson taking a step back from that meta commentary that he did with Scream, trying to write, like, a very straightforward slasher film. It doesn't help. It does, No, it, you're right. It does not help. And I think there's a reason why I Know What You Did Last Summer is not as well-known or as appreciated as Scream. And as we watched in this film, it certainly does not hold up over time. Grant, Grant, at the same time, I think if they went for another meta thing, it just wouldn't work as well. Because even if they did it really well, it'd still be like, well, it's not Scream. True. True. So either way, either you're kind way, of, yeah, you're, you're kind of fucked there. Yeah, you're fucked. You're, you're in total catch 22 there. You're fucked either way. If you go meta and try to be like Scream, you're going to be like, even though it's the same writer and it makes sense to be, you know, do that same kind of commentary, it'd still be, oh, it was okay. It's not Scream, though. But then if you just do, like, a straight slasher film, like this did, it's like, uh, it's not Scream. Do you think that this film was the, uh, like, a production company sort of thing where they were tapping Kevin Williamson to do this? You, you did so well on Scream. We're hoping that you can strike gold twice with another slasher film revitalizing that genre. Yeah. Just, just simply because of why we're doing this month. Yeah. The whole, the whole, you know, after the, you know, the late 80s and barely into the early 90s, like, with Freddy and Halloween and Jason coming, you know, dull as shit movies, for the most part. I mean, if your fans like, like those later movies in those series, and I'd say like, bar like New Nightmare. New Nightmare. Yeah. Which we've, we've done. Yeah. But, like, you know, like, barring New Nightmare, like, most of those, like, you know, they hit they hit their peak, and now they're, like, meta, but not, like, a smart meta. It's like, oh, you know, tongue-in-cheek, ha-ha-ha, and totally just not really anything there. Yeah, I think that probably New Nightmare did it best before Scream. And then you have the revitalization of that genre with Scream. And then you have the copycats, which happened in this much the same way in the 80s. You had a lot of copycats that came out to try to bank off of... Halloween. Halloween. Uh, let's just take any random holiday and we'll put a murder there. You know what I mean? We'll center like Silent Night, Deadly Night? Yep, exactly. We'll center a murder around that time period. Uh, you had multiple films like that. You just had more generic slasher fare. Um, and it's not, it's not anything new. And that even that carries back towards the, like to fifties, where you had a lot of those nuclear films, those nuclear science films of like let's just pump out another film that's very similar to this one, but in this this one we'll do you know radioactive Gila monsters. Well, yeah, it, right, exactly. And you know you, it's not anything new, and it, obviously in the nineties it was the same idea. But I think I know what you did last summer is a summation of like what they did with that. You know, let's take Scream. Let's try to do it again, but, you know, we'll we'll tamp down on that meta commentary that you did in Scream and try to make it more of a generic, you know, very straightforward slasher film, and we'll see how that turns out. See, and I, I, again, I think, to the film's credit, it does 
I like I said, I don't think if they did went a meta route, it'd work. I think I think Scream is kind. Of, Scream is the amalgamation of like perfect timing. Yeah. You know, with the slasher genre essentially dying a couple years before that. Though, like, Halloween 6, what, came out in, like, 94? Yeah, 93? Probably, probably something like that. So, like, a year or two before that, Halloween 6 kind of, like, at least in my opinion, kind of, like, surmised the death of the slasher <laughs> genre. In yeah, 95 it was, so... So it came out the same year as, like, Scream, but at the same time... Scream was 96, so... 96, so... Alright, got the years off a little bit. But even still, like, it's, like, a couple years in between, but it's, like, literally, like, just like that. You know... It's not just like Halloween that was out of ideas. Jason was out of ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, For, and, Jason, and, and, and new night and, and, and with Wes Craven, uh, not Wes Craven, but with the Freddy series, it took until New Nightmare to come around to like kind of refresh in the series. But at the same time, though it's meta and it's commentary, it still wasn't at the time well received. It's like this is kind of different. Wasn't really understood. So I think at the time when Scream came out, it was like the perfect storm of taking the idea and like in having this meta commentary on it that people could latch onto. Like, oh yeah, you know, you know, I understand now. When I watched like a Jason movie, and it went from being like this brutal killing to like, oh, he's gonna pick the girl up and slam her into a tree with like these funny sound effects, you know, to kind of have that kind of impact. Yeah, exactly. I think that probably a lot of people were a little bit conditioned for Scream by New Nightmare, 1994, a couple years before Scream came out. And then, yeah, you didn't really have anything that was releasing prior to Scream that was very um, memorable. You know, know, Halloween 6, I would definitely not say is memorable. Paul Rudd. (laughs) And the the only reason that Halloween 6 really is memorable is because of that extra producer's cut that was released later on. It was kind of like a a big thing, you know, oh, there was you know, the regular theatrical cut, but you also got that re- producer's cut that changed quite a bit of things. That's the only reason that the film has kind of... Halloween 5's not even memorable. No, not really. Halloween I mean, f- and Halloween... I and ha- say- and I'm saying Halloween 4 is memorable because it's, oh, we're away from the Halloween 3 stuff that people, were th- you know, were so against because it's not Michael Myers. But at the same time, if you watch Halloween 4, you're going to be like, mm, it's a movie. Yeah, I would if, you, if, if you watch Halloween, what are the good ones? One and two, right? Like in my, in and both, three, but I know, three and, is and not no. a Michael Myers film. But yeah, no, I, I would say three. I agree with the sentiment, but like I'm saying if most people, yeah. it'd be Halloween one, and then for like people who are more into horror, Halloween two. And, and I agree with you because you were explaining a couple months back when you went to Universal and they're doing the whole Halloween two thing. I we both love Halloween two. Yeah, we think it's a great film. But, I mean, other than that, like, if you exclude those two films, and then with us, think, you know, how we like Halloween 3, despite its departure from the series, not like Halloween 4, 5, or 6 are memorable. No. And you can say the same thing about the Jason series. Yep. Yeah, at that time, they were really is spinning any, wheels. Is, is anyone, when Jason gets to, Man- which, by the way, Jason Goes to Manhattan is kind of a meta film, in the sense of... It is, yeah. It, in uh, a little not, bit. But I think, not in the sense that they're trying to be meta, but I think in the sense that... Like, well, what can we fucking do with him? I think at that point they had kind of realized that the well had run dry with Jason. They kind of had to spice things up a little bit. And and that film is, though, I mean, I wouldn't say that it's technically like a meta-commentary on the slasher film. It certainly does understand that 
Okay, uh, what this is, is more of a yeah. comedy. Yeah. You know, at this point, we're 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 getting more into comedy territory. The whole kickboxing scene on the rooftop, or him, or him, um, like with the, like the guy with, with the like boombox. Yeah, boombox. Yeah. yeah, there's no one that's gonna watch that film and be like, "Well, they meant that to be serious." <laughs> you know, they <laughs> meant that to be spooky and scary. It's it's obviously they were they were figuring out that at that time. You know, we're kind of bordering on comedy territory, and let's take it as far as we can. Now, what horror f- see like at least like. At least with slashers. What horror franchise that's a slasher hasn't acted like by the second film, Jump the Shark? There's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's common. Because it's very... even with like, like Saw, yeah. by the third film, as we reviewed, <laughs> you're getting into fatigue territory. That's true. Yeah. Um, it's hard because once you, when you get into like the third and the fourth, you know, at that point... You're really grabbing for cash. It, it's hard not to I to define the film as a cash grab because you have to imagine that most of the time a f- horror film does not set out to say this is going to be a trilogy. You know what I mean? We're not we're not working on the grounds that this film will ultimately become two more films that you already envision happening. Yeah. Most of the time, that envisioning comes from. This, they, made, this made a lot of money, or or <laughs> this may make this film. This may make a lot of money, so we'll set it up for a sequel. Exactly, and, then, yeah. and if you know, if it doesn't make our money, then we'll just you know, yeah, nah, you know, we're not gonna do it. But if you and know, now I, now now that it has made a lot of money, we can make that sequel. You know what? I know what you did last summer is a perfect example of setting that up because the end of the film, that conclusion, yeah. is absolutely. You know, predicting that I know what you did last summer is going to do really well because it has Kevin Williamson helming the script, and they're thinking this is very easy to set up a a second film if we need to. If if this does really well, we can easily pump out a, a sequel to it because the entire thing is left open ended, very open ended, to the point where we're basically working on the same plot line as. What this film does, where there's a person who's potentially dead, but everybody thinks he's dead, but probably not because he's targeting teens. And they left that open in this film for a second sequel, which they did end up doing. I still know what you did last summer. Um, it's This is the perfect example of a cash-grabbing slasher film. Working off a of Scream, creating uh, the... the um, the potential for a sequel, this is money. <laughs> the, the, you know, the producers are seeing money signs in their eyes, like in cartoons, you know, and then they're like, you know, like a sort of like casino yeah, style yeah, yeah. lottery. You know? I, was, I, was, I was thinking like Conker's Bad Fur. Right, yeah, exactly. Every, every time you run into money and you go to grab it, his eyes just roll dollar signs and mm-hmm. like, like a slot machine and land like ding. That's exactly yeah. what I know what you did last summer reminds me of. It's just like, you know, let's throw a lot of the same ideas from Scream, from Kevin Williamson's huge breakthrough into this. Um, let's take a break real quick. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about beer. And then after that, we'll get into the heart of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yo, you should listen to The Devilish Debaters. If you're a nerd and you like asking really broad philosophical questions like, what is the point of having borders in the first place? Or what's a better form of government than democracy? 
then you should listen to The Devilish Debaters. That's The Devilish Debaters, and don't forget to check out our Twitter, at DevilPod. All right, so beer we're drinking today. Got two different ones. <laughs> nice, nice sound effect there. Yeah. Had that queued up perfectly. Yes, um, we got two different ones today, mm-hmm. and one of them. Which one would you like to talk about first? I'm going to talk about the Jenny one first because we've covered pretty much every other Jenny um, uh, Brewmaster collection. Their pilot batch series. Yeah, the the pilot batch series. We've covered a pretty much almost every one of those so far. At least throughout here that we can get, with, yeah, within a reasonable. I think there's only a couple that we're actually missing on the podcast. Smash, yeah. Pilsner, Alt Beer, and Hellesbach. Yeah, and closest we can get any of those. And the, the Hellas now, yeah, that's the, that's yeah. new. But the Smash, the Pilsner, Alt Beer, and the Hellesbach. That's they're all like 45 minutes away. Yeah, um, I will eventually make the trip to get them because <laughs> I want them. Yeah, but um. The pile of batches that do get it right, which, by the way, I don't really understand why those ones didn't make it out here. It's not that far. We are within Genesee's, you know. Yeah, we're in Jenny territory. Yeah, so I, I don't really understand. I think it's more like the retailers around here, because, I mean, yeah, people, for some reason, and I'll never know why, but around here, people look down upon you if you look Genesee. I have had, and you've had, many people when we're drinking Jenny Cream Ale, be like, you're drinking Jenny Cream Ale? Why? Yep. And it's like, have you had a Jenny Cream Ale? No? Then you're, you know, shut up. You don't know what you're missing out on. Yeah. It's a billion times better than that bush <laughs> that you've been drinking. I I like Jenny, and I like this beer that we're talking about today. I don't like Jenny. <laughs> I love Jenny. You love Jenny. They're, you know, to be honest with you, Genesee is probably my favorite brewer. Mm-hmm. By, I think by by now they have captured my heart. There's not many, got it. not not many a Jenny beer. I mean, great. I haven't had like a regular Genesee in quite a while. Um, but I mean, other than that, I mean, like, the, I love the Jenny Cream Ale. Yep. And I, everything I've had from the Pilot Batch series, I love. A Jenny Ice is nice when it's hot and you know steamy. But the Jenny Lloyd's never good. So I mean, that's uh, <laughs> that's the one downfall of them. Yeah. Haven't nailed that light beer yet. It's true. Today we've got the uh, Jenny Orange Honey Cream Ale, which is basically... Their newest offering yeah, it's of a, their it's, Pilot Batch series. It's a new Pilot Batch series beer, and it's it tastes a lot like an orange creamsicle. It's amazingly delicious. I was very surprised when trying it, because I'm not a honey drinker. Um, the Blue Moon Summer... The Summer Honey Wheat? Yeah, that one really turned me off but when I had that uh, a couple of years ago. To be fair, though, it's Blue Moon. That's true. But at the same time, I would not say that I'm a honey drinker by at any by any means. What's the other one that they make? The honey brown, um, Genesee? No, not Jenny. Because they do make the honey. I mean, which is on, you know just the honey brown. But... Oh, they do make that. Yeah, Jenny yeah. does that honey brown. I'm also not a fan of it. I I will have it like once a year. I'll be in the mood for it. It's not. I agree. I'm not really in the mood. It doesn't really have anything to do with the honey. It's more just like it's the style for me. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Um. I'm not the biggest honey fan either. I don't really see the appeal of it, especially in the beer. Yeah. I mean, I can see more like a, if I'm drinking tea, like a nice hot tea, and I want, you know. A little sweetness in your tea yeah, or something like that? That yeah. would be good, because I don't like milk or sugar in my tea. But what appeals for me to, for this beer, one, it's cream ale. Mm-hmm. I love cream ales. 
Two, the orange. I think like an orange cream ale. That's a that's a great idea. I think that's a great because I think a cream ale is one of the perfect summer beers. If it's a hot sweltering day, you're on your lawn. As we said before, you're on your lawnmower. You've been mowing all day. You need something to refresh yourself with. What are you gonna drink? Have yourself a nice Jenny cream ale. So I think the orange, the orange honey cream ale definitely speaks to me. Um, I wasn't really expecting it to have that big of a honey taste to it. I was definitely expecting more of an orange taste. And you do get that with this. It's a cream ale with a pretty big orange taste, but a very, a nice, which the honey balances it well. Because it's a very nice, subtle honey sweetness to go with that orange citrus, citrus sweetness that then goes with the cream ale. So you get, like, when you're drinking it, you get a nice cream ale, frothy smoothness to it. You get the orange citrusy sweetness very prominently. And then you get a little, you know, sweet honey taste to it that makes for, as we talked about, a almost creamsicle-like taste. Yeah. And I think that it works in, I think that works very well. That I, is. I, I think it makes for a very refreshing, crisp beer. It is really good. I mean, I like the uh, the orange flavor that you get throughout. And then there's sort of like a, a Christmas towards the end that is prominent. And I, I like that a lot. Like you said, the honey is not like a super... It's not pronounced. Yeah, it's not heavy. And I also enjoy that because I don't want a really heavy honey presence in there. So. It'd make for a very... I think if the honey is too strong... As you would say, to cloying. Yeah, that's right. I would. <laughs> and like overpower, like the orange. I th- I think it totally. Grew. I think you ha- like for something like this, you have to have a certain balance, and that balance has to be much heavily towards the orange, with a subtleness of honey to balance out that sweetness. Like you get the citrus sweetness, which is a whole different kind of sweetness that you would get from a honey sweetness. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think they do a really good job with this one. It's um. I was impressed because I wasn't really expecting a whole lot from the orange honey aspect of it. And I was thinking they were going to go maybe a little bit too much on the honey side of it. So this is really good. I, I And, you know, I was also thinking that you probably wouldn't be able to have multiple beers and you can. at once. But, yeah, you, you definitely can. Even though this is a 6% beer. So it's on the higher side. Of um, you know Jenny's Jenny's beers besides like some of the like the winter warmer or something like that. Oh, you know? it is an ale. Yeah, and this is at six percent. So I definitely was feeling it after a couple couple of uh, orange honey cream ales. So very good, very you know, and great for the summer months as we're moving into because it's sweltering yeah, out today, today ninety degrees. So uh, very nice to have that on a day like today. Definitely. It's a good alternative, like a shandy. It is, yeah. If, you, yeah. if you're not too keen on the idea of like like a beer and lemonade yep. or a certain fruit, this is a good alternative. It is, and as you said, it does have a bigger kick to it. Mm-hmm. A shandy is usually in like the low fours, mid fours yeah. range for a ABV. So if you're looking to get like a nice little buzz going on too with fewer brews, this is the beer for you. Yep. I actually, I hope this stays in their lineup. And they keep it around for quite a while. Like it, I hope it catches on as much as their salted caramel porter, because I think those are my two favorite of the pilot batch series: is this and the salted caramel porter. Mm-hmm. Huh? It's good. The other beer that we have today is from Founders, and Founders has been doing their um, fifteen packs, so they're trying to give a little bit more bang for your buck. 
putting. Uh, I don't think we've reviewed a Founders beer. Um, I can't remember from last summer. It would have been last summer if we did because I had I bought the all day IPA last we, summer. That might have been the one we beer may we... have done Founders last summer, but I I don't honestly remember if we did or not. Um, so. they're one of my they're one of my favorite craft brewers. Right? Yeah, I mean, they do. I I have not had a Founders beer that I disliked. The breakfast stout is is really good. Top of the line. Yeah. It's one of the best stouts I've ever had in my life. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's totally worth the 12 bucks for a four pack. But the 15 pack that we have today is the PC Pills, which I believe is their new, well, not new, but it's what they're putting out for their spring summer. seasonal. So yeah, pr- spring summer seasonal. Um, so that comes in a 15 pack, which is a good value pack. Cause a lot of times, like for us around here, founders quite expensive. Um, it's 18, I use my advantage card cause as a price chopper, use my advantage card. It was only 1599 plus tax deposit. So it was right. like eight, 1801. So, I mean, it's pretty cheap for a 15 pack based on like what founders normally is. You think about some of their other stuff where they only come in four packs. And yeah, and it's, you know, like you said, twelve bucks a four yeah. pack. It's not, uh, you know, it's not super um, cheap to buy a, a Founders beer around here. But the PC Pills, um, never had it before. This is my first time having it. This is my first time too. And I do think it's really, it's it's very good, uh, refreshing, very heavy on the hops. For a Pilsner, for absolutely, a Pilsner, yeah. Very heavy on it, hops. It's all, I would say this is not even like borderline pale ale. This is borderline IPA. Or like an IPL, sort of, yeah. But at the same time, it is crisp and refreshing. It is, yeah. It definitely is. It's very refreshing. Um, I would like to compare the all-day all all day IPA to the PC Pills to see exactly how they differ. Because and how they balance out on hops. Exactly, because the PC Pills is heavily hopped. You would almost expect it, okay, not to insult founders, but it would almost be like a Heineken Light. What makes, as we talked about before when we were talking about Heineken Light, what makes Heineken Light probably to be the best light beer out there? It's a light beer, but it does have a hop taste to it. They have Cascade hops into mm-hmm. it, which give it a, a nice, when you're drinking it, it's a nice refreshing beer, but it's also got a slight hoppiness to it. Actually, I wouldn't say slight. It's a, it's a pronounced hoppiness to it that, you know, makes makes it definitely stand out compared to like a Bud Light or a Bush Light or a Coors Light and a Miller Light. That's what makes it stick out. So the whole idea behind taking a Pilsner, a nice, light, refreshing, but malty beer, and kind of hopping it, you really have to balance the hops out so it doesn't be like, this is barely a Pilsner and more of a pale ale IPA. Yeah. Um, I, think- I, would, I, would, I would say this is, this is good, but I would say it's hoppy, and I do think it's crisp and refreshing in a summery beer, but I do think it's hoppy to the point where... It leans too far away from a Pilsner style. Yeah, I mean, this is going to turn off anybody who doesn't really like a higher hop count in their beer. I'm trying to think. What's the IB on this? 45. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of people who are looking for, like, just your regular Pilsner are going to be turned off by this because... With a slightly more, like, hoppy flavor. Yeah. It's totally going to... Yeah. Totally going to go, like, away from what you're expecting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to me, it's, it's... it's pretty hoppy, and it's not what I expected from a Pilsner. Obviously, I do like the style. Um, 
I like IPAs and pale ales as well, so this is very drinkable to me. But I can totally see somebody picking this up, thinking it's going to be more of a um, tried and true pilsner. Well, they say hoppy. Yeah, yeah, and and then really getting that hop kick to it, and just not. Enjoy. You know, now they got now they got fifteen beers, and they're not really enthused with the whole hop aspect of what Founders is bringing no, to it. And so. I, no, I agree. I totally, I do enjoy this quite a bit. I think it's very good. I I do like the kind of the hybrid. I do like the experimenting with mm-hmm. taking these other styles that aren't really ingrained in hoppiness and kind of trying to figure out a balancing point between them. But I can totally see that if you don't like hoppy beers, but you like like a pilsner style, this is you're not gonna like this, right? Because because of how pronounced the hoppiness is. Like I said, this you could I wouldn't if I if somebody gave this to me. And told me to drink this. I wouldn't say Pilsner. No. I would say Pale Ale, leaning more towards an IPA. Because of that hop, hoppiness to it. I agree. So. I would say the same thing. Like you said, I, it'd be interesting to drink this and then have like an all-day IPA and kind of see the mm. what the difference is. Yeah, because I remember that all-day IPA being pretty smooth. And I can't remember if that's supposed to be a session IPA or... I think it is supposed to be a, it's a session IPA. Yeah. So... So you would think that one would be lower on the hop count too, with not a huge, you know, IBU, so that it would be easier to drink them. And forty-five is really high for a pilsner. It's pretty. It's pretty high for a pilsner, yeah. With a five and a half alcohol, so yeah, that's definitely yeah, definitely high for a pilsner. But again, this warning people doesn't mean we don't like the beer. I would definitely get this again. Yeah, absolutely. But I think this is a warning. If you don't like hop, if you're not a person that's into pale ales and IPAs. Yeah, this is not going to be the Pilsner for you. There are other craft breweries making Pilsners that are more akin to... A traditional Pilsner. Yeah, a traditional Pilsner of, of what you would think. So Founder's probably not the one that you want to go with. So, All right. Let's get into I know what you did last summer. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one, although we both agree not as memorable no. as some of the other slashers that we've covered. Do you love pizza? Do you love brothers? Then you'll love the Pizza Bros Podcast. The Pizza Bros Podcast is a weekly show where two brothers discuss all things pizza, pizza snacks, pizza fashion, pizza tech, pizza history, and don't forget the epic saucy sixteen. We review pizza from local restaurants in the Pacific Northwest. And let you know if it's worth your time and money. Each episode is only about 13 to 30 minutes, so it won't take up most of your day. Served up hot and fresh every Wednesday. The Pizza Bros Podcast. Wherever podcasts are sold. We don't sell our podcast. Man, that that pizza promo, huh? Who doesn't love pizza? Makes you really want a pizza right now. I always want pizza. I know, I know. Check them out. I wish I, I thought of that idea. That's right. And that's not sarcasm. Hopefully they're getting they're getting paid to eat pizza. That'd be that'd be great. I that's why I don't watch the Food Network. To be honest with you. You're jealous of everybody. Or the Travel Channel. <laughs> that no. fucking asshole gets yeah. paid to eat a sausage and yeah, pepper. Yeah, fuck fuck um Guy Fieri. Oh yeah, here's this fancy like sausage patty sandwich that this guy slaved gonna, over for I'm twenty years. Stuff it in my hole. Yeah. Shoves it in his mouth like, oh, he tastes the salt. Fuck you. I'm not a cook. I'm not a cook. I'm not a good cook either. But fuck Guy Fieri. Like that shit. That oh. 
No offense to the pizza bros. I'm sure they do. They do a great job. On no, I'm not, no, I'm not. I'm we're not. not je- you know, we're not. We're not. No offense to them. Jealous of them, but no offense. It's, that, is, that is more of a takedown a, of Guy Fieri because I hate his show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got. I know what you did last summer today. Uh, I wish Guy Fieri got killed in the cell. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, Ryan Phillip kind of is like Guy Fieri in here. He's got the, uh, he's the fr- frosted tips not and the. Fat. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, so I know what you did last summer. Um, obviously, we talked about it. Written by Kevin Williamson. Um, directed by Jim Gillespie, um, and based on the novel by Lois Duncan, which if you went to high school and middle school during the 90s to late 2000s, you know Lois Duncan. The Giver. That's right. Wrote a lot of young adult popular novels. Was that, was that actually right? Huh? Yeah, I think I think she did write The, the Giver, as far as I know. Um, but I think that... <laughs> I was just throwing a random... Book out there, I could have, yeah, could have swore it was written by Lois. No, you're wrong, Lois Lowry. Ah, yeah, damn. Yeah, you got through your Lois is messed up. Damn. That's all right. But, um... Lo- Chocolate Wars! <laughs> With <laughs> Lois Duncan, though, you know, I know what you did last summer, not one that <laughs> anybody really read a lot in high school, I don't think. Definitely a lot of different, um... Young adult novels that Lois Duncan wrote, but I, I know almost, what you did last time, not almost, one of them. I would almost feel like in high school, we didn't even really cover, like, a lot of, a lot of, like, true, like, cla- considered classic novels. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know. You can, you know, you, because you can be, you're the English, you went to college for, specifically for English. I did not. We didn't, like, read, like, a lot of people are like, did you read The Catcher in the Rye? Changed my life. It's like, no, I didn't read The Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, I mean, we read, I would say, some of the classics that we read, Uncle Tom's Cabin, Frankenstein. We didn't read Frankenstein. You may not have. I did. In ninth grade, I read Frankenstein. Is it like a summer book? Yeah, it was a, for, uh... No, it was a summer, because at summer we had short stories. Yeah, I can't remember. But, I mean, read that one, Grapes of Wrath. We did not have. Um... We didn't have. And also... Um, there, there's quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, obviously our curriculum differed. In no, I know ways, that. But... No, I understand that. Both of us also coming from a teaching background. But I'm just saying, like, a lot of books, like, that people would point out to, like, classic literature that you should cover in high school, we didn't cover. Didn't get to. Tale of Two Cities. That's one. Yeah, that's a classic. But, Romeo and Juliet. Well, we had a Shakespeare every year. No, I know. We but had Romeo. What was it? Romeo, Romeo and... Macbeth, and Othello. Othello. And, and Caesar. Caesar. Caesar was 10th grade. Yep, that's true. Yep. I remember had, remembering Brutus' speech verbatim. That... So, the, so even with those, though, and we're getting way off topic with the... I know she did last summer, but even with those, like with Shakespeare, you can heavily differ on what you consider classic Shakespeare to cover. Midsummer Night's Dream. Why didn't we cover that one? Henry VIII. Yep. Well, Henry VIII is difficult, though. That's probably why we did not cover it in high school. That, yeah, that but is we, a different, but we, difficult, but we also, historical... I know, but we also took college English. True, like, yeah. I mean, that one we did... I covered in um, college, and that is a... I, it's difficult not because of like the writing style with Shakespeare. I mean, because of that, which high schoolers would struggle with, but also the historical background of just studying that 
as a you know as a text. So, but we're way off, way 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 off topic from I know what you did last summer. This is obviously gonna make me later like at home. I'm gonna literally think. I'm literally gonna think of all the books we've read and some of the books we didn't read. And, and then I, you're gonna be like, why didn't? Why haven't I read all that? No, I'm gonna text you like, like why? Like why did we read Animal Farm but we didn't read 1984? True. Why did we read you know the Metamorphosis but not you know this? Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm I'm kind of drawing a blank right now. Might be the beer, but I'm I'm drawing like there's a, quite a few books that I've had like people like mention that they read in high school and I'm like. We didn't read that. We read I Am the Cheese. True. Which yeah. I'm not saying I Am the Cheese is a bad book. I actually liked it. And, you know, for me in high school, again, kind of getting off topic, but it took me about until like the 10th grade to start kind of getting interested in reading novels. 7th and 8th grade, I totally, and a little bit of the 9th grade, totally spark noted my way through that shit. Because I didn't have time to be bothered with such nonsense. I don't care about well, actually, no. I did read Tangerine. I yeah, I lie about that, but I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like another eighth grade book that I was like, eh, I skipped over. Yeah. All right. Fun, fun time. That's right. Going down memory lane, but, which makes sense because it's ninety slasher month. That's right. Um. So Lois Duncan's novel was written in 1973, but it didn't really it didn't get made into the film until 1997 when Kevin Williamson, obviously riding the waves of Scream. Decided to go back to the slasher genre for I Know What You Did Last Summer. And we see a lot of the same ideas and themes from Scream that really become uh, reiterated within I Know What You Did Last Summer. One of the biggest ones is Jennifer Love Hewitt as the main character, Julie James. Because Jennifer Love Hewitt, uh, obviously here with longer hair, pretty much interchangeable with Nev Campbell in Scream. And tits. And tits. Yeah, and I guess those kind of are more prominent than Nev Campbell's in Scream. But at the same time, when you think about Scream, you think about how Nev Campbell is the final girl and also very reticent to have sex. Um, You know, the the generic... At least she was smart enough not to fucking do it on a beach. That's true. That's the that's one of the main differences between Julie from I Know What You Did Last Summer and in Scream with Sydney. But at the same time... When you think about Julie James and I Know What You Did Last Summer with Jennifer Love Hewitt, this is, again, Kevin Williamson repeating the same ideas from Scream and just kind of like put putting it into a different context. Here, we're in North Carolina. We're in a coastal town, a lot of fishermen, a lot of uh, fishing imagery. Now, the, the hook that becomes the main, I, the main weapon... Slickers! Slickers, yep, that's right. The The hook that becomes the main weapon here is obviously an ice pick sort of thing, which we see many times, like, stuck into ice. And it, it makes sense because this is a fishing town. It's a, it's I know, the mother... too many her, times. Her mother even prominently points out, like, oh, you don't like your... You don't like your kipper? I mean, we I tried to get monkfish, but... Exactly, yeah. We had a bad season. It's like, I... I I like seafood. I had never heard of fucking monkfish. Mm. Maybe we don't get that up here in New York. We don't, yeah. But I... I've... Yeah, but I mean, like, that's the thing. <laughs> like, that's what makes I Know What You Did Last Summer Different. stand out from Scream. Because now we're in a fishing town. It's so it's so minimal, though. It is. It's yeah, like, you're right. Well, I mean, hindsight. Hindsight being 2020. It is so minimal that it's... Like, it's... You know, it doesn't change... 
the overall atmosphere. It does. But, but I can almost see if you watched it like back in '97, you're like, oh yeah, you know, wow. But now, not looking back now, without the nostalgia goggles on, it's like, ooh, it's not really a big differentiation yeah. between the two. I mean, I think the other big thing that we have here is that in this film, our protagonists believe they killed somebody. It's a big cover-up. They they changed, though, their stance on it. They first, absolutely do. They're like, at first, like, manslaughter. Like, because it's an accident. It would be manslaughter. It would be, it'd literally be manslaughter. Vehicular manslaughter. Yep. And then by, like, you know, like, when the years pass, like, it's murder! Yeah. We murdered somebody! Which, I, I guess that makes sense. You can say at that point, murder, though, because they willingly threw his at. Yeah, his now, now they yeah. got rid of the body and... <laughs> Covered everything up. Yeah, I think... So, I well, let's get into the plot itself then. Because my biggest... One of my big concerns with I Know What You Did Last Summer is that after, like, the first 30 minutes where... It's a dull ride. That's true. That's, that's not what I was going to say, but <laughs> it is a dull ride. But after the first 30 minutes, you know, in that first 30 minutes, we have this sort of party between Julie James and her boyfriend, um... Man, uh, 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 Ray, and then Sarah Michelle Gellar character Helen, who wins the uh, beauty pageant, what the fuck and her boyfriend. What picture do they Barry. have for Freddie Prince on IMDb? Yeah, he's got a little uh, newsy hat on there. God, that's miserable. <laughs> but anyway, um, with with that with that whole thing with those group, they you know they they head to the beach. They, Dawson's Beach. Dawson's Beach, obviously a little reference to Kevin Williamson's baby there with Dawson's Creek. And, um, you know, they they kind of celebrate their... Uh, no, what? Their what? summer before they're going away to different colleges. Did you do that? Uh, when Before you went off to college, did you go out into a beach with me and some other friends got drunk no, and no. fucked on the beach? No, I, I didn't, but... Why didn't you? I mean, I guess I can see where they're coming from. But I think that the biggest thing here that bothers me is that that whole scene where they accidentally kill the guy on the road and then cover it up. The a year passes between those events, and then after that year, it doesn't really feel like it's that big of an event. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we're supposed to see that Julie is kind of struggling with her grades in her college and and you know she's not the same girl that she used to be and, she's and obviously yeah she's <laughs> frumpy and, and she's hiding her boobs and obviously helen is a little bit different because she had plans to go to new york city for whatever reason to become I mean, a major actress which by the way this film was made in 1997 who the fuck's going to new york, as yeah. i told you who the fuck's going to new york city to become like i'm gonna be a major actress because she's definitely not someone who you look at like Bound for Broadway. Right, exactly. She's, she's going to star in Rent. No, she needs to have had to, to California. Yeah. That's, that's... But but the OC is like five years old. <laughs> but I mean, the, like, I, I feel like the film misses some opportunities to show the, the actual, like, change? change that these characters have had. Because it skips an entire year. You know, it skips that whole period of them actually transitioning. After a year, I'm assuming that most people have come to grips with, like, I was a shitty person, and I fucking (laughs) covered up a murder. Well, they all have, except Julie. Right, exactly. I just don't feel like at that point, when you're skipping a year later, 
that the whole emotional feeling behind, like, you know, we should have done something about the, that accidental, you know, murder of the of the man which, on the road. Which, by the way... I feel like that's not... She's present. the one that should have, like, the least guilt about it. She was a passenger in the vehicle. Yeah. She tried to get help. Everyone else shot her down. This is before cell phones. When she said, let's go to the police, what the fuck is she supposed to do? Like, while they're like, hey, let's ditch the body. Hop in the car and speed off to the nearest police precinct? That's true. That's like, true. Absolutely. I, I mean, yeah, I, because so, that, so then, I, then yeah. you're leaving the scene of a crime. Yeah. So <laughs> what's the right thing to do in that situation? So you're, she's yeah. she's fucked either way. Yeah, exactly. And everyone's out, else out votes are like, yeah, no, we're going to dump the body. It's so like she has a cell phone on and like, oh, yeah, you dumped that body and call the you know, cops to kind of be like, you know... No, she she's fucked either way. There's no there's no cell phone. There's nothing, so she she has nothing. You know, no recourse really, except to kind of be a part a part of it. And but her part is just being. I'm not going to be a part of it. She, she says I'm not gonna help you throw the body in and yeah. think this is wrong. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not wrong then for her to have remorse over it because that ma- that does make sense. But at the same time, again, it's like fuck she's supposed to do yeah ryan philippe's gonna beat the shit out of her if she's <laughs> you know looks at her cro- if he looks if she looks at her cross-eyed so, so yeah i mean i think that my biggest problem with that year later you don't really have much emotional resonance from that event at that point uh you have a lot of people who have kind of tr- attempted to forget about it and i don't think that i know she did last summer does a good job of actually showing that these characters really care about what they did in the past. They care now, obviously, because Julie soft. Julie gets a letter saying, I know what you did last summer, but do I really feel like they have remorse for what they did? Not really. The only one they Besides su- Julie. And and Freddie Prince. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. he later goes like, oh, I was, I was Billy, you know, Billy Blue trying to figure out who they had murdered. And- but at the same time, like, during the whole thing, he's... As you said, so razzy worthy acting like it's manslaughter. Yeah. Calm down, everybody. Like you know, you don't see like see him and go like, oh, he cares. Yeah, I think. So that- and, like he's trying to show like I did care. It ate away at me. That's why I tried to find out about it. It's you know, it's like fuck you, Freddie. Go to acting school. Get better. That's true. I mean, <laughs> I think that I know what you did last summer has a really good idea for a story that. These teens, they accidentally murder somebody on a, on a street that's deserted. They're, there's the, Essentially the, a county road. <laughs> exactly. There's the setup that works pretty well, wherein one of the guys has been drinking. Not all of them. Not even the driver has been drinking. Uh, I, think but, he, I think he, him and his girlfriend are the only two drinking. And I don't think yeah. Jennifer Love Hewitt or Freddie Prince Jr. Exactly. Uh, I think it's a good setup because you have that kind of random spill in the in the car so that whole idea that like can we really go to the cops and trust that they're they're going to understand where we're coming from in this situation i think that makes sense that initial scene where that whole accident takes place i think it's done pretty well i think they do a good job with it i think it's a good setup i think the acting in it ruins it right i think ryan philippe is playing a total Stereotypical douchebag asshole. That it's not even it's not even believable. He's he's over the top. Freddie Prince Jr. on the other hand, 
It's not even over the top. He's fucking so monotone and wooden. You can't grasp onto him. The only two that are kind of believable are Sarah Michelle Gellar and Jennifer Love Hewitt. But at the same time, Sarah Michelle Gellar is really just left to like kind of like like little three-word quips to kind of like throw in about what to do. And then so the only person kind of being the conscious of the whole situation is Jennifer Love Hewitt. But when you have Freddie Prince Jr. bouncing back and forth from being like, something happened here. No, we can't do that. You know, it, it, it doesn't really resonate and work as well because you have Ryan Felipe like, we can't do it! We can't fucking do it! And then Freddie Prince is like, we manslaughtered someone. And then Jennifer Love Hewitt's like, well, we gotta do something! And he's like, calm down. Yeah. It's like, easy. Yeah, I the mean... Ra- the Razzies probably weren't that well contested that year. You have this <laughs> locked up, Freddie. <laughs> I think that, yeah, like I said, I think that Williamson sets up a good uh, scenario here. I think that it works, and you really do understand the predicament that they're in. They don't want to go to the cops. Obviously, there's going to be a misunderstanding here. But they don't also... I mean, they're 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 17, 18 years old. They don't want to just leave a dead body in the middle of the road and, you know, live with that knowledge that they've killed somebody. So I think it works in that sense. And it even works in... But at the same time, if you're going to dump the body, you know you... You're, you're wrong. Yeah, you're you know, you, messed up. All, yeah. all of your, like, we didn't know, it was an accident, I didn't see it. Because, again, if Freddie Prince Jr. isn't drinking, and it happened, again, you can kind of, like, you I can understand, like, they'd think, like, if they went to the cops, they'd be misconstrued, because if they go, and they see the booze, and they see that Ryan Philippe's drunk, they're gonna be like, oh, you're all drinking. All you have to do is say, give me a breathalyzer. Right. If I have, you know, I hit him, it was my fault, but I didn't see him. I wasn't drunk. Give him a breathalyzer. True. Comes out straight. Okay. You're good to go. You're going to, you know, get in trouble and probably found not of guilt because, you know, that. And then Ryan Fleep will get a slap on the wrist for being, you know, a rich preppy white boy. Like, you were drinking underage. Bad to you. Don't do that again. Right. So. So at the same time, it's kind of understandable their fear. But at the same time, if you think about it, it's like, as soon as they go and dump the body... They're wrong. Right. They're already wrong. Yeah, that's that's the big that's the <laughs> that's big the thing. Ti- that's the that's the tipping point. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, and then even later on, when you see like a year later, where Helen hasn't moved on from her life, she didn't go to New York City and make anything of herself. She actually came back home and started working at her father's shop. Or you which see, does what we don't know, right? I mean, <laughs> it's some sort of like variety store, Sears esque or something like that. Um, or you've got like. Ray, who basically did not do anything again with his life, went on what, to do some fishing stuff. He's supposed, yeah, he's supposed to, oh, he's supposed to go to New York City too, like for college. Yeah, right. No, because a fisherman. And Jennifer Love Hewitt, she goes to college, but she doesn't make anything of herself. But she she's failing. She's she gonna get, do anything. Even her mother's like, "Well, the dean's wrote me a letter. Like, who the fuck's so special? They get a letter from the dean saying, like, you better tighten up here, Missy. You know, she looks like she's just the person that." Sits, doesn't even go to class because she's so distraught. She just sits in her room. Which, by the way, if you're the dean, the kid's just sitting in her room and not going to class and paying you forty grand a year. Why, <laughs> you do, you, it, you let why do you care? You let him have it. Yeah. This is an institute of higher cadet bullshit. You're probably like, oh, you want to spend four years just sitting in your room? All right, fine, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Have fun, have fun with those students. Yeah, you don't kick them out. <laughs> That's you know, just stupid business. <laughs> so I think that you know, moving on to the 
actual slasher aspect of this film. It, which bu- takes 45 minutes. It does. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think it's, it is a slow and methodical movement to the slasher aspect of it. But I think the problem here is that it's okay for the that opening part of the film to be slow. And I actually kind of enjoyed that first part where it, you're kind of... In that in that opening, you're kind of thrown into everything. You see the you see Helen crowned as beauty queen. You see them all go to the beach. You're kind of given that exposition that oh okay, they're all going to be graduating. They're going on to different things in their lives. They're for whatever reason from New York, North Carolina, moving to New York City and Boston. Well, as I as I told you, I'm like see every movie. With like going off to college, something it's like everyone's like, I just gotta get out of here. I gotta go to New York City. Yeah. The movie could be set in Montana. They could be fucking like kids, like who like grew up like cow farmers. Like, finally got out of here and went to Columbia University. And I know I met, you know, yeah, fucking. Uh, it's, it's like fucking uh, stupid. Again, here, yeah, it doesn't really make sense. It make more sense. Like, hey, you know what? I'm going to Durham. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know that I'm I'm okay with that first part. I'm okay with it being slow and steady. The problem is once you get to the slasher aspects of it, because yet again, all of those ideas are very slow, methodical, and poorly paced in my mind, because a lot of our main characters, they don't die for like a long structure of the film. And when you're thinking about a slasher film, like, like I know what you did last summer or even, you know, Scream before this, you... You have some of those characters that don't really mean much to the plot. They're fodder. But at the same time, (laughs) you have people who do mean something to the plot also dying, which gives the film like a a pathos that you're you're following towards the end of the climax where the final girl is like, I can't believe you killed all my friends. Yeah. You know, I gotta, t- I gotta take you down. That's, that's the whole idea even, of the final it, girl. It, no, it doesn't even feel like it's impacted her at all. No, exactly. No, I it's think, just, just like, oh no, all these people I used to be close with now that I'm not because I'm so distant and cold and shelled in because of what happened. Oh, fuck them. Yeah. That, that's like literally the end, like, you know, I think that the, the end game of this film by the end of the movie, Jennifer Love Hewitt is gone from, like, shelled and complete, and now all her friends are dead except her former boyfriend, Freddie Prince Jr., and it skips another year, and it's like, I can't wait to fuck you later, and I'm so over, you know, Ryan Philippe, fuck him, Sarah Michelle Gellar, she's on to Buffy now, who yeah, ca- she's dead. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Yeah, you know. I, yeah, that's my biggest problem, is that the whole, the actual slasher elements of I Know What You Did Last Summer are very generic, um... It's not just from the kills itself, which a lot of them are happen very off screen, un- and they're underwhelming. Yeah, they so have, under- a lot of them happen way like off screen entirely. You know, you may get the motion or the sound effect of a hook whipping through the air, which whatever that sounds like. In this case, it's like a, you know what I mean? Or like, if it's hitting a body, it sounds like you're punching a pill, like yeah, instead of like. A, but yeah. but uh, in, for the most part, you're not seeing anything. Um, there's only one death in this that I would say is kind of gruesome. And which that, one's that? Uh, Johnny Galecki's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where That's he gets, I would say too. Where he gets the hook through the chin and then he slams his head on the ice and then drags him. That's the only one that's, and it's not even really that gruesome. I mean, the imagery of like, cause they do focus on when he gets first stabbed in the chin. They do focus on that. He hears like his blood curdling. Like, yeah. and then before then he gets picked up and slammed. But other than that, everything else is, you know, very... 
very fucking tamed and very off, you know, off, off screen. So, so the whole suspense and gore effect, you don't get any of it. You get one, you get out of like six kills, you get one. My argument is that, not even that, the film isn't gory, which I don't think it has to be gory. But I'm, not, I'm, just, not, I'm yeah, not saying that but either, it's but... it's just not memorable. The fish hook being used in multiple scenes is just not... There's nothing there to it. The slicker is a poor man's scream, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, nothing there. Even the killer itself, when you see the killer in the rain slicker... It's just fucking micro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but at the same time, like, it's a shapeless being. There's nothing... I don't even feel like it's very menacing. It's just a thing. It could be a shadow that's standing there, and you it would have the same effect. There's nothing about the hooded man in this film that stands out, and, not, and his kills don't either. So it kind of negates the purpose of watching a film like this, because, first of all, there's no mystery to this film. There's no way that the layman audience member is going to put together who the killer is at the end of the film. Not it's that, not possible. Not only that, the red herrings they throw, like, maybe it's Max. Right. No, he... Sh- I mean, he kind I mean, he kind of, because he shows... He's a weird guy. And he, and he shows up when they hit the body, so he might have a connection to the person. But he's instantly killed off, so it's like, alright. Yeah. That's gone. Then they're like, it's Freddie Prince Jr. He was there! Yeah. Yeah, it's not Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah, the, the whole thing, I think that the biggest problem is that there's no real mystery as to who has done it. Because the audience can't know. They can't put it together. There's no possible way until the film explicitly says, yep, it was this guy. You cannot put together who it was. You don't have the, you don't have the information. There's no... It's not like Scream, where it's no, like... Exactly. Who There's nobody that you can pinpoint and say, like, well, I think it's this guy. You know for a fact, okay, well, Max is dead. No, it wasn't him. You know that it has to be somebody that wasn't there at the scene at the time. And... It's obviously not Anne Hage. Right, exactly. It's <laughs> not Anne Hage. So, you don't have... There's no one there. You, you can't put the mystery together. And that's a big problem in this film, because at, towards the end, I think you're supposed to be a little bit surprised that... Of who it is. But you you just have never been given just, the information. Or shown that character before. Right. He's just, he's just there. It's just, yeah, it just, so. it just happens. It's an expositional thing. And you have to run with it and just, like, be okay with it. Like, right. I tried out for the perfect storm, but I didn't, yeah. make, you know, I didn't make the cut, god damn it. So yeah. here I am. I think that's a really underwhelming aspect if I know what you did last summer. Like you said with Scream. You have the undercurrent, once you get to the end of the film, you, you're you like, they've been here the whole time. You know, they've been right under your yeah. nose the whole time. And I know what you did last summer, you're like, oh, well, okay, so it's some <laughs> un- unknown guy that I didn't know about. I've, you know, I expected that. I expected it to be someone I didn't know because, you know, it's just, just how it has to be. In the film, there's nothing that tells you... Like, this could be someone that we know. Even even Urban Legend does it better. Because, again, the killer is yes. amongst the group. Exactly. And then when you get to the end, it's like, if you didn't pick up on it, it's like, that does make sense. This one's just like, surprise, motherfucker. Yeah. You know? Which we didn't mention. Uh, this was released 
a year before Urban Legend, but this also features a rain slicker. Not just a, like what we would call a rain coat in our area. God yeah. forbid. Yeah. But a rain slicker. This is the second film to feature a rain slicker where multiple people own it. Just like it's common. Like everybody bought this style of L.L. Bean rain slicker. <laughs> and as we said, this looks like it's a film made in fucking New England, not North Carolina. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you know, they took the whole New England thing. But nope, yeah. it was filmed in North Carolina, both of our chagrins. So. I think the other thing that we're, when we watch this film, it's not very memorable, what we were missing from it. It's not super 90s. In the sense that, like, it's, like, nostalgically looking back and you're like, wow, there's a lot of things there that you're like, wow, you know. There are some things. Like, Jennifer Love Hewitt's look throughout the entire film and Ryan Philippe. Like, Ryan Philippe's wearing, like, that stereotypical douchebag 90s, like. Either a sweater. Sweater. Or or a a wife beater. And, And he's got his fucking frosted tip poodle hair. Yeah. That screams super nice. It does. Jennifer Love Hewitt's outfits, like the overalls and the hair, but the bangs aren't fucking growing in, and and like she, she's wearing yeah no super nice. Freddie Prince Jr. He's always gonna be super nineties. He'll never escape it. I'm sure right now he probably <laughs> <laughs> he, st- he probably looks like he still came off the set of this movie. But I mean, other than that, it's not no. You're right. It's not super nice. The soundtrack they have like shitty. Covers of classic rock, rock songs like "Hey Bulldog" and "Hush," yeah. but then like to, like crappy generic alternative post grunge rock music or adult contemporary. And it's, yeah, the, like when we were watching the film in the subtitles, like soft rock playing. It's like that's not soft rock. That's like adult like contemporary, as you specifically pointed out, and it just made the most yeah perfect sense. But like, there's like nothing to, like the soundtrack. The hint '90s, really, like especially the late '90s, like Urban Legend did so hard, and the Faculty did so hard. This is very like, oh, it's just a ge- generic. It's totally generic. Say anything with like the, like clothing and stuff. It's just like, oh, this is, and like the looks of the character is totally generic. Not even like memorable '90s, like Urban Legend. You watch that and you see what they're dressing like. Like you can pinpoint like, oh, that's. Spice Spice World just came out and she's rocking that sporty spice look. This film was like besides Jennifer Love Hewitt and Ryan Philippe, they all you know they're just there. Yeah. On that ninety at least that nineties vibe. I think yeah, that's the biggest problem with I know she's last summer. The entire thing is just very generic and very unmemorable. The ta- the setting is so just like again, yeah, it's like it's supposed to be North Carolina, but it comes off as just like a generic New England coastal town. Some place in Maine that Stephen King wrote about in a book that nobody read. Yeah. and that, Or he didn't write. And that's it. That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like, oh, you're in North Carolina. It's like, well, you're, you know, perfect storm is supposed to be set here. Right. And, I, and the other thing that is, I think, to its detriment is that it's just not very creative. And I don't even think that, for the most part, like, you don't need to watch most of the film. It's an hour and 40 minutes, and most of that is really just filler. And it could be an hour. Yeah. It could be like a, like a, like a creep show, uh, not a creep show, a Tales of Crypt episode. The entire uh, conclusion, the climax, where... On the fishing boat? Yeah, on the fishing boat where Julie's fighting off the killer. 
Um, way too long. Not memorable. Yeah, way too long. And it, it kind of just plays out for just a long period of time that doesn't need to happen. Loses tension in that moment. And it's just, it's, it's hard. It Now, remembering it, like, I remember watching I Know What You Did Last Summer thinking it was a lot better than it was. But now watching it again, there's just nothing here. I I feel very vacant even just thinking about it. You feel because, like you feel like you've been robbed of a memory. Yeah, because there's just nothing here. I even think that maybe I still know what you did last summer has more uh, memorable moments than I know what you did last summer. Even though I still know what you did last summer, most people probably consider a bad sequel. It's not. It's not a very good film. Has to dicks. Yeah. At the same time, I think it's probably more memorable. It's more violent. It has at least a little bit more, um, like, death on screen than this one. And it really has that slasher feel to it. Whereas in this one, there's just nothing there. It's just very tame and kind of, it's pr- mostly boring, really. Who would have thought Tara Reid would have out- outacted all the females in this film? Who would go again to say, you know what? Tara Reid, better actress than Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> well, that's better, true. Better actress than Jennifer. Wait, would you take Urban Legend or I know she did last summer. Like Urban if Legend. You, if you had to watch again, you'd, you'd say Urban Legend. It's funner. It's a funner. It's not a good film by any stretch of the imagination, but it's quirky 90s nostalgia-ness. Res- like I said, I said, we reviewed it. Resonates with me. So I, you know, I can find it enjoyable. This is so barren, so just middle of the road, so bland. As soon as 2001 hit, this film was irrelevant. Forgotten. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Lost with, like, again. Even to- when Scream 2 hit, it was forgotten. You know right. what I mean? I was like, oh yeah, here's the film we actually wanted. Yeah. Not this shit. No, I mean, again, like, there's nothing here that sticks out. The act, again, the acting, there is no good act. I can't call a single person in this film, their acting in it, to be worth a damn. Everybody in this film is fucking terrible. Bland, boring, dull, wooden stilts. People who just showed up to get a fucking paycheck. That's true. It's miserable. Absolutely miserable. I would say for the most part... Like, Sarah Michelle Gellar is not a bad actress. As we've, you know, seen her like Buffy. She's good. I wouldn't say that about, like, Freddie Prince or Ryan Philippe, but... And then Jennifer Love Hewitt. I haven't seen enough to really kind of judge, but... At least I know Sarah Michelle Gellar can act. No one in this film gives a damn. The premise, though cool and unique, it isn't, like, it is a cool, like, take on the premise. Like... The hit and run happens. They don't know what to do. They're afraid to call the cops. So they get rid of the body, but, the, you know, come back for revenge type thing. So unique and good. It's a good premise. Terribly executed. Nothing in this film has any suspense, which is key in a slasher film. Is slasher supposed to be suspenseful? You're supposed to be guessing who is it? When are they going to strike? Who are they going to get? This is so by the numbers, so by the book. That you can predict what's going to happen in this film. The whole... When Ryan Philippe gets murdered. And Sarah Michelle Gellar's like yelling at the crowd. I know Scream 2 came out after this. A little bit after this. But doesn't that remind you the whole like fucking like movie theater? Yeah. 
But that's done so much better. So much more intense. So much more enthusiasm and believability behind it. So when this happens, this one, I'm like, eh, who the fuck cares? True. So instead of saying, like, hey, that was done before that, you're like, you know, Scream 2 did it better. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean... You so don't... even if this is, like, a, I'm not saying it's an originator of the idea. I'm sure there's other films before that have, like, done, like, a scene where, like, a killer is stalking somebody and kills somebody while somebody else is watching and crying out for help and nobody believes them around them. But if you watch, like, 90s slasher films, you think of Scream 2 before you fucking think of this film. Yeah. And this came out before Scream 2. Yep. So, it's just a bad, unmemorable film. It's very by-the-numbers, very safe, but at the same time, I th- them being safe, especially with, like, the, the killing and stuff, it totally ruins any enjoyability. Yeah. So. I think the one thing that we do get to enjoy, though, is Jennifer Love Hewitt's tits. Prominent for a good part. That's true. And we did talk a little bit when we were watching the movie about her losing her virginity on the beach, which seems very uncomfortable to me. What a first time. That's... Wish that was mine. You know, just like, right. on, a, on a nice beach and night and... Well, by, actually, though, by the way, they're, the the beach that they're on looks like a fucking hurricane's about to roll up. Because if you look at, like, whatever, like, they're shooting on, I don't know, it was a green screen behind them, but it's the water tore, it's, like, just, like, yeah, you know, like, they're gonna get washed away halfway, you know. But, I mean, that... Mid-thrust. That beach sex seems very uncomfortable for a virgin when, you know, you don't know what kind of sand can just be getting in there brutalizing yeah just a raw dog sort of thing and uh wouldn't it be funnier though if like the whole premise is like i know you did it last summer and it's like oh she had a kid yeah 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 (laughs) instead like yeah instead of the whole like we actually we killed somebody that wasn't really a major event at all because apparently because apparently they're high school sweethearts her and ryan i'm not ryan philippe but freddie prince jr right yep so i'm mad they've been dating probably since like the ninth grade because that's most Areas yeah. except ours, high school. Right. Um. So if they've been dating since ninth grade, that means Freddie Prince hasn't had sex either. You would think, yeah. So y- you thinking he'd be like having the skill on that first shot, not to be like free thrust and like. <sighs> I don't you know. know. You know. Like, we talked about that too, and like <laughs> where where you would want to, you know, pull out and and come on that part of it, and you would probably, you know, we talked about. Are it we supposed to? Are we supposed to just assume? Like, oh, he's Freddie Prince. So, like, right from birth, he's already like, I got this. Yeah, he's... He, yeah. <laughs> I would say, you know, the two choices are they do it missionary style and he comes on her tits, or you have uh, doggy style and he comes on her back. And, you know, I was just... We were thinking about it. What's the logistical, <laughs> I, you know, the best option for that role? I mean, if, you, uh, if you're doing missionary style and you need to come on her tits, then you have to pull out, you have to, like, scoot up <laughs> and probably kick sand all over her in the process... And then come on the tits. And that's why I said at first, like, he'd come on her tits because she's got tits. Right, she does. But then you, know, you explain the logistical nightmare of, like... Uh, you like, got sand all over the place. You're going to have to... Probably your pants are around your ankles, so you're going to have to waddle a little bit. And so your... your shoes still on. Yeah, and... your feet are kicking up sand. It's kind of an uncomfortable experience all around. They, or, they didn't even bring a blanket. No, they didn't. Or so, a towel. Yeah, yeah, so you're just kind of, like, ass to the sand sort of thing. <laughs> But, you know, at the same time, you could do the doggy style position and you could just pull out real quick and come on her back. But at the same time, 
especially like in this scenario, if you probably, you may not be on birth control, you come on the back and then she stands up and the cum runs right down her legs. And then you're in the same situation of like accidentally like, oops, you know, that's an accidental cream pie situation there. So you, you have... What a way to explain to your child. Yeah, that's, that's right. Well, accidentally, the cum, the cum, we didn't, we weren't expecting it, but it ran right down your mother's back. Right into the snatch. Right, right through, right through the crack into the snatch. And, <laughs> you know, my sperm was really aggressive at that point. And yeah, you know... We we're just thinking about logistics of that, and I gotta, I gotta think that either way, that was a very uncomfortable way to lose your virginity. What a magical moment! And then she goes and hits somebody. You know, and- so, instead, so instead of her being like, for pa- her child's like, how'd you lose your virginity for the first time? She's like, well, funny ass that we fucked out a beach and then we hit somebody with a car. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, the other thing though that you can think about is. At least Nev Campbell had, like, you know... She That's all, true. She had an actually magical moment, yeah. for, at least for the before she found out that her boyfriend Boy, was a murderous psychopath. psychopath. But, <laughs> but, I mean, with this one, at least you can think that, like, if, if Julie did have, like, a really bad experience losing her virginity, where, like, Freddie Prince Jr.'s dick was full of sand or something like that, then at least the next time was way more enjoyable. So you have like, that'd you know, be it's a, not like a hit of heroin where you're always searching for the next high. At this point, you're like, well, anything could be better than having sand in your vagina while having, you know, it scraped out from the inside like sandpaper, like, you know. And it'd be a year, too, because she was all downtrodden. And you you imagine with her being downtrodden and not doing well in school, it's not like she's like... Well, going out to the parties. And, and getting yeah. fucked by guys, no, like, no. like, you know, every night to woo her troubles away because... That's not where her troubles stem from. So she's just being miserable and a mope. And yeah, well, she also uses the word ravaged. So I'm assuming that she hasn't had many people ravage her before. In general, you wouldn't want to use the word ravage for anybody besides your boyfriend, I guess. Because ravage been, sounds like somebody is going hard on you and like using, like basically using. You're not. Your you're body. not having sex. No, you're, yeah. you're not making love. You're fucking. You're, yeah. At that point, like, exactly. I, like, like I want to be ravaged. Means I don't care what you th- you think about my needs, and I think about you. You just go and go to Pound Town. Yeah, you do exactly. what you gotta do, and I'll get what I can get out of it. Exactly. So, yeah. There's no. Yeah. There's like yeah. Three levels: making love, sex, and fucking. Obviously, when you say ravaged, you want to be fucked. Yeah. Not you know. Now make sure you do that. Not a gentle little, like... Excursion. You want to, yeah. Well, I guess that's probably, you know, you can see, that's the most that we took out of our notes you did last summer. So, we're still thinking about that moment 15 minutes in where they have sex on a beach. So. Why aren't we drinking sex on a beach? I don't know. I don't know. How do you make one? I don't even know. I don't know. All right, what would you give I Know What You Did Last Summer? Out of 10 fish hooks, what would you give? Out of 10 um, Darlene's boyfriends? Yeah, yes. Um, four and a half. It's pretty bad. I, I got to admit, I haven't seen it in quite a while. I but... mean, it's been probably since like 2003, 2004 when they stopped. Like around that time, they finally stopped airing it on yeah. like UPN and shit like that. Um, it doesn't hold up at all. At the same time... It doesn't have the nostalgia factor for me that Urban Legend has either. I have more of a nostalgia factor. Not watching it now. 
But compared to Urban Legend going into this month, I had a much more nostalgic factor mm. for it. I see, I saw, I know what you did last summer, several times compared to Urban Legend where I saw a couple of times. So I thought going into this, I would like Urban, I mean, this film more than I like Urban Legend. It just doesn't hold up at all. It's a very by-the-numbers slasher film. Yeah. A, re- a return to, like, what What killed the slasher films? We're going to do that. Um, it's not interesting. The idea of it's interesting, but it's not well executed. I think if, like, say if Wes Craven decided, like, okay, I'll do this film, Kevin. I think it'd be more interesting and better done, because I think he'd be able to get more out of the actors. But at the same time, I don't think even Wes Craven can make this, like, a terribly amazing film. Yeah. I think it'd be very borderline, just, it's it's okay. Yeah, I mean, if you're following the the premise of it, and at the end of it, there's no way for the audience to figure out who the killer is, then you've you've gone the wrong direction. Yeah, and you've the red and, wrong. and the red herrings throughout the film are not well done. No, and and pretty much like you said with Johnny Galecki's character Max, eliminated very early on. So there's no, there's nothing even. There's nothing to go on. And Anne Hayes, because she creepily like comes up to the window, like, hey, you left your yeah, which is very forced and yeah, yeah, I yeah, no, trying to go for a jump scare. Yeah, but um. I mean, it's. I mean, it's a good idea, but it's not well executed. I think the direction in this film is terrible. I think the acting in this film is god awful. Um, and because of that, because you have no real nostalgic connection to the '90s outside of like, hey, I remember it. But if you watch it now, it doesn't really connect and resonate like Urban Legend with how like, how like ingrained in the '90s it is. This is a very not even middle of the road, is it? It's four and a half. It's below. It's very mm. unmemorable and unenjoyable. Yeah. It, I I wouldn't after watching it now again for the first time in quite a few years, I wouldn't watch this film ever again. I'd be like, yeah, hey, I remember thinking it was okay now and yeah, pile, yeah. pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I would probably say around the same thing: four and a half, five stars, something like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's just very generic, and there's nothing really that stands out about it. Does it get you geared up for, like, I still know what you did last summer? I mean, I would hope that I still know what you did last summer. You know, normally you don't have a sequel that does better than the original, but I would hope that I still know what you did last summer is at least a bit more violent, a bit more... And I don't remember that one as much. I, I don't either, really. I know I've seen it Yeah, a few times, because again, like, UPN and stuff used to play it. But I don't remember. Like I said, all I remember is Tay Diggs is in it. I mean, I would hope that one would be a bit more aggressive, wherein it seems like this one, when you have, when you're coming off of something like Scream, which is, I mean, I wouldn't say it's super gory, but it's, it is at the same time, it doesn't pull any punches, especially if you think about that first scene with Drew Barrymore, which is very surprising, especially at that time. This one feels very tame in comparison. And I think that probably disappointed a lot of people for one thing. So I would hope that I still know what you did last summer talking about this like i haven't seen it in years uh you know does a bit more with that idea and also either accentuates the the guy in the rain slicker or at least tries to give the audience a way to understand like what's happening you know what who is the person that's behind the rain slicker um that we need to have at least some way to figure out like okay this is a person that we've seen before this is a person that's been on screen before there's a difference between like a well-hidden secret like oh i should have seen that coming and and being blindsided right 
And this is like this a total is blindside. Total blindside. Even Julie has to use the internet to Which, figure by out the way, what happens. By the way, 1997. I can tell you right now, the way she was loading pages, man, was not happening that quick. <laughs> not, not that quick. Not even happen that quick today. Yeah. Well, at least around here, because we don't have like FiOS or anything. You know, the whole. You can get a gigabyte, you know, upload and download speed. Yeah, we don't get that shit up, up around here. 60 at the max, if you're yeah. lucky. But that, I, I, that, actually, glad you brought that up. Because that made me laugh. Like, she's like, click, like, oh, let me check the library. Typing away and, like, instantly getting articles like that. It's like, you would be sitting there for three minutes, like, oh, well, that's, you know, loading the articles. Let me make you a cup of tea. Yeah. Would you like a cup of tea? We'll have it's a like cup of tea. It's like 600 kilobytes. Yeah. You're like, oh, that's going to take a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. 512 kilobyte RAM is going to take a while to process all this information. Yeah. Nah, but I, I, I gotta say that I was quite disappointed rewatching. I know what you did last summer. I, I wish I almost didn't see this. Movie. Yeah, I almost wish I just had you just had the, the memory of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh. I know it's disappointing. It's disappointing. So I guess that's it then. Anything else you want to talk about? I know what you did last summer. There's not anything else really. It's... God, if if you, if you haven't seen if you've seen it before but you haven't seen it in a while and you. I'd recommend watching it just to kind of get blindsided by, oh, God. But if you've never seen it before, I wouldn't even bother. Don't, there's nothing There's nothing here for you. Yeah, it's often you, listed as a, you know an important slasher film from the 90s, but I would really... I wouldn't... Stay away from it. Yeah. There's, no, there's nothing memorable. There's. I would totally say, go watch Urban Legend instead. Yeah. I never thought I would say that. Yeah. Looking back on nostalgia, I would well, never say, like, say, yeah, watch Urban Legend over it. I would say, no. Because I, I didn't remember Urban Legend as well, but I remember I know he did last summer more fondly. And then after watching them both, I'm like, no, watch Urban Legend. Don't watch this. Well, uh, 90s Slasher Month comes in handy then. Yeah, it's a nice you, trip not, down memory lane. Now you appreciate Urban Legend more than you thought you would. Yeah, and it's, it's. Who the hell would have thought? Yeah, I know. I know. Alright, so it's time for administrative duties. What do we got next week? We have. Um, Halloween eight, or no, <laughs> Halloween H2O, right? Yeah. That's what we're doing. Halloween H2O, um, which should be fun. It's been a while since I've seen Halloween H2O. Um, I think probably at least four years, but one of the good things about Halloween H2O is that, Jamie um, Lee Curtis, is it? we've got, yeah, we've got Jamie Lee Curtis and, Josh Hartnett makes a return to the 90s horror or 90s slasher month. Um, but other than that, I I can't say that I really remember H2O that well. So I, it'll be interesting. I, you know what? All I can remember from it is the ending. Yeah. That's all I remember. So it'll be interesting. Anything to see past it. that, I don't remember. But uh, no, I, I can't wait to watch it either. It'll be. It'll be something, all right. It, it sure will. <laughs> so we got that next week. Um, obviously, give us a like on uh, Facebook. We're up on there. Facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We appreciate that. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and pretty much any other podcast app that you would normally use to listen to podcasts. Um, follow us on there. Subscribe to us if you can and give us a, a nice review. And uh, you can send us an email at bloodandblackrumpodcast 
at gmail.com. Let us know what movies you want us to cover on the podcast, and uh, we'll do our best to facilitate that. Uh, we're on Twitter, at Blood and Black Rum. Um, send us a tweet, give us a message, follow us, and uh, we try to respond as best as possible. Um, other than that, we're also up on Patreon, patreon.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. You can donate uh, anything that you want to to us. Just remember that it is a monthly donation. So whatever you pledge, it's going to come out once a month. Um, just keep that in mind. Everything that you pledge does go back right to the podcast. So anything that you can donate to us is much appreciated. Although we will continue to deliver podcast episodes to you for free. Um, also, we have a shirt. You can check it out at Teespring, teespring.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. And uh, order the shirt. You can wear it and uh, advertise for us. It really helps us out. We appreciate that. Um, it's a cool design. I designed it myself. I do say so myself. It's pretty it's cool. That's right. Uh, so, you know, if you uh, if feel so inclined, please order the shirt and help us advertise out in public. Other than that, we'll be back next week with Halloween H2O to continue 90s Slasher Month with Part 4. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you next time. Take care.